Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Summer Podcast. This is episode 34. In today's episode, I'll be talking about the murder of Shirley Carter. In the conclusion of today's episode, this is part two. I'll be talking about the trial of Jason Carter, Shirley's son. My sources for today's episode are The Accused, Guilty or Innocent, episode titled Murdered His Mother, Part 2, The Des Moines Register, CBS to Iowa.com, The Cinemaholic, AutumnalCourier.com, and Oskaloosa.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in the show notes. I'm being accused of murdering my mom, my dad, my sister, and my brother. Murder in the first degree in Iowa carries a sentence of life without the possibility of parole. Whoever did this is still walking around out there because you guys can't find them. Just a recap from last week's episode. Shirley Carter was a 68-year-old mother and grandmother. She was found shot to death in her Lacona, Iowa home on June 19, 2015. Her son, Jason, was accused by the rest of the family of murdering her, and he was later charged for first-degree murder. This episode begins with Jason being two weeks away from his trial. The prosecution has handed over police audio recordings of witness interviews. Hi, guys. Hey, guys. This is our friend, Agent Ludwig. Jason Carter comes across as an all-American boy, but he's not. He shot kill his mom. So his defense attorneys just want to paint the picture, potentially to a jury, that Jason Carter didn't do it. DCI Special Agent Mark Ludwig, who we spoke about in Part 1, is also heard saying that another suspect probably killed Shirley and that Jason is being wrongfully charged. The defense was already wary of Ludwig, but this calls everything into question. The prosecution argues that it's hearsay, but the defense must argue to keep the hearsay statements admissible in court. Good morning, everyone. We'll just start at the top. Ms. Branstead. Your Honor, in this case, we have statements by law enforcement showing bias, and we have statements um, showing an unwillingness to pursue leads. There is one recording in which the witness says, I've heard, I think it's a lot from a lot of people, and the officer's response is, well, that's just all speculation and hearsay, and ends the interview without asking anything else. We're not, we wouldn't be offering it to prove that that witness knew a lot of things from a lot of other people. It's to show the bias that this officer didn't even ask the question of who told you what. This is hearsay. How, how is this going to be admissible? Your Honor, truly most investigations like this start with hearsay testimony. One person heard something and then the investigator has to follow through and go to the next person and go to the next person. Your Honor, I can say that I have no intention to stand up in closing argument and say, Joe Sedlock is absolutely responsible or John Falwell is absolutely responsible. What I do intend to say if this evidence is admitted is 
we don't know because these leads were not followed through. It sounds like we're all accepting the fact it's hearsay. There is no permissible way to get this evidence in for the truth of the matter, certainly. They're talking sloppy police work. Okay, so the defense can say over and over that this was a surface investigation. They may even believe it, but it doesn't make it true. The judge ruled in the favor of the defense. Just three days before Jason's trial, the defense made another discovery. A box of about 90 discs were found. The discs were either mislabeled or not labeled at all. Agent Ludwig had dropped off the box several weeks earlier to the Marion County Sheriff's Office. The defense should have had those discs a month ago when they were preparing to go to trial, but they decided to go forward with the trial despite this evidence coming in so late. This is so hard because I promised Jason early on in this case, the one thing that he could count on is if I went into trial, I would know every detail of every bit of evidence. That was my promise. I said, that's what I will do. And if we go into trial now, I'm not keeping that promise. Jason's trial took place in 2019 at the Pottawatomie County Courthouse. It happens in the kitchen of her home. Somebody fires high-powered 270 caliber rifle at Shirley Carter. The bullet strikes her in the side. It carves a path through her chest, shattering ribs and punching holes in her lung and heart. With Shirley Carter lying flat on her back, the shooter racks another round into the chamber of that rifle, aims dead center at Shirley Carter's chest, and pulls the trigger again. The evidence will establish that somebody acted maliciously and with the specific intent to kill. What we will prove to you is that there are clues that lead to only one conclusion. We will ask that you return a verdict, finding Jason Carter guilty of murder in the first degree. Thank you. What I'm going to ask of you is over the course of this trial to look and see if you think this was a normal and perfect investigation or a theory significant parts of this investigation weren't followed through. The timeline doesn't make sense. There was no motive. One investigator in particular went after Jason Carter and ignored all the other clues. And at the end of this case, I will ask you to enter a verdict of not guilty. The prosecution's first witness was a man named Mike Halverson, a criminalist. His job was to tell the court why the photographs that they took were significant. He said that the drawers in the home that had been pulled out were fingerprinted and dusted. He said the team processed the living room, but that it appeared uninvolved and undisturbed. The second witness was a woman named Lori Goff. Lori had originally said that Shirley had died several hours before Jason ever arrived. The state says Jason did it in 10 minutes. Lori's statements were inconsistent. First, she said the blood was dried when she first saw the crime scene, and then she said it was wet. 
the defense was able to show how inconsistent she was. At that time, it was your finding that it didn't happen minutes ago. It had probably been two or three hours. Correct. You found the coagulation of the blood means that it had time to start the clotting process. So you knew that she hadn't been there for 12 hours, but you knew that she had been there longer than an hour. Possibly, yes. That time frame, that's the time frame I gave, yes. I do think that we were able to show uh, Lori Goff's inconsistencies. During the second week of trial, Jason's sister, Jana, and dad, Bill, testified for the prosecution. I want to talk about June 19th. Did you receive a phone call from your brother a little after 11 a.m.? Yes, I did. He said, Mom is laying on the kitchen floor, and she's dead. And I said immediately, no. I, and I said, Jason, did you call 911? And he's said, no, it's too late. She's cold. She's stiff. She's dead. And I said, you don't know that. I said, Jason, you got to call 911. And that's, you know, it was, he still wouldn't call 911. I got a phone call from my daughter. She said, uh, dad, mom's dead. And then I took off for home as fast as I could get there. Jason was talking on the phone. I didn't even stop. I just went running in the house. What did you see? I found Shirley on the floor. And she was dead. And then I picked her head up and I kissed her on the forehead. Jason said that his family was ruined after Agent Ludwig got involved. After six days of evidence, the prosecution rested without calling their lead investigator or any law enforcement. The defense had decided to call Ludwig themselves. There's a lot of risk, but Jason said he wanted Ludwig to go on the stand. My name is Mark Ludwig, spelled L-U-D-W-I-C-K. All interviews and reports are supposed to come back to you for an management of the investigation, aren't they? That's correct. I have hundreds and hundreds of uh, documents and pages of interviews. Most of these interviews occurred after there were questions posed by Jason Carter's defense attorneys about what happened. That's correct, yes. Okay. Many, many people implicate Joel Folliwell, John Folliwell, or Joe Setlock, correct? Their names come up by multiple individuals. There are multiple reports alleging that Joe Sedlock, John Falwell, and Joel Falwell were involved in the homicide. Yes, I, I believe we were told that. Um, Charity Rauch said they were supposed to be getting medication that was coming in the mail, but something went wrong. Joel got startled and the gun went off accidentally, but that Joe Sedlock went back and fired a shot to kill the woman. Is that correct? Yes, I believe that's correct. To this date, are you aware of any alibi evidence for either of those three individuals? 
regarding the, the on June 19th? For the morning of June 19th, 2015. No, I, I do not know where Joe Sedlock was. I do not know where John Followell was. And I do not know where Joel Followell was. Agent Ludwig also said that the Followells were not violent individuals. However, the Followells both have previous convictions for assault, so that pretty much proves that they are violent. The defense rested after two days of questioning Ludwig. This was a case built against Jason Carter instead of a case trying to solve a crime and look at all the clues. You gotta believe someone went downstairs, found a gun in that basement, came back upstairs, shot her instead of walking out the door. The state's own criminalist said, I'm not aware of any forensic evidence. There are only two people who knew what happened that day. One of them's dead, and the other one's sitting in that chair. Find him guilty as charged. Possibly be guilty. I ask you to return a verdict of not guilty. The jury deliberated for two hours and found Jason not guilty. Ladies and gentlemen, have you reached a verdict? Yes, we have. We, the jury, find Jason Carter not guilty. That endures so much. Nobody can even come close to no one. In February 2020, Jason filed a plea to overturn his verdict in the case where he would have, would have to pay $10 million. The civil verdict was upheld. In March 2020, Jason filed a petition against Mard Ludwig, questioning his, inte questioning his integrity. According to Oscalusa.com, the petition was dismissed. Bill Carter was attacked by his other son, Billy Dean Carter. He knocked him down and kicked him after an argument and was charged with assault. That is the only information I could find about that. Jason still has no contact with his family, and Shirley's case is closed and unsolved. While it's safe to say that this family has issues, however, I do think Jason's case was all circumstantial, and it's probably a good thing that, ju that the jury didn't lock him up for the rest of his life. The robbery gone wrong theory makes more sense to me than Jason killing his mom, but it's possible, too, that he got away with it. It's sad that Shirley will probably never get justice. I hope her and her family can maybe stay away from each other because it seems that they shouldn't be in each other's lives and they need to let Shirley rest in peace. My book recommendation for this week is The Summer We Buried by Jody German. Summary. 20 years ago, Tansy was drawn to Celine's hard edges, her grit, and her knack for survival. Since then, the confused tangle of guilt about covering up a murder shattered their friendship, and even now at 38, Tansy has never come to terms with what happened that night. But now Celine is back, demanding her old friend repay her. Celine's daughter, Jupiter, attends the college where Tansy works as a guidance counselor. Celine is convinced that Jupiter's boyfriend, Colton, is abusive and wants Tansy to intervene. 
As she is drawn back into the intensity of Celine's world, Tansy discovers the ugly truth about Colton. But Tansy suspects there's far more to the story, and now she'll finally have to confront Celine once and for all. Review. This book is sus- suspenseful and surprising. There seems to be a lot of manipulation and lies. Tansy's friend Celine resurfaces, and she's drawn back into her life of lies and secrets. Tansy doesn't want Celine back in her life, but when she meets Jupiter, Celine's daughter, she seems to be okay with helping her get away from an abusive relationship. The characters are well written, and although the beginning was slow, I enjoyed this book. I give it a 7 out of 10. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Let me know if you prefer a one-part case or two parts. I will be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. Please don't forget to subscribe to my blog or follow me on Instagram at It's Crime O'Clock Somewhere blog pod. And remember, it's Crime O'Clock Somewhere.